Hey folks, this is Anatoly and you're listening to the Solana podcast. I have a super exciting episode today. It's all about stake pools and decentralization and censorship resistance. And I have a, a group of guests that I'm going to let them introduce themselves just to make it a little easier. So uh, Ella, why don't, why don't you start first? Sure. Hey guys, uh, Ella, I'm a product manager um, of censorship resistance um, at the Solana Foundation working on stake pools and the delegation program. Hey, I'm Vasily. I'm tech lead at Lido. Honestly, I think that uh, the person who should be there inside of me is uh, someone for the course, like Felix or Ruth or maybe Brian, uh, but they couldn't make it. So uh, I'm here instead as a second best option. <laughs> <laughs> awesome to have you. We'll take the second best. <laughs> uh, hi, guys. I'm FP. I'm co-founder and CEO of uh, the Social Stake Pool. Uh, nice to meet you guys all today. Awesome. So censorship resistance, stake pools. I've been like pounding the, the table on this for like two years as kind of the most important thing in proof of stake networks because I have this crazy belief that if we have liquid staking as collateral in DeFi, then financial analysts that analyze systemic risk in these things will actually prefer collateral that maximizes censorship resistance. And that is kind of a crazy thing because it would tie incentives for maximizing censorship resistance in the network to the its actual use and primary use being DeFi. Is this real or not? Like, is this going to happen? <laughs> uh I probably got some experience to tell here because like we, we were in production longer, uh, like not on Solana, but in general longer than uh, most uh, liquid staking pools. And I can say that it's less pressure to decentralize than I thought it would be on one hand. On the other hand, is much more pressure than we usually have as a staking provider as a node operator. Like I, I, I come from a staking provider, P2P.org, that is uh, pretty big itself. So like about uh, 4 billion stake of fire, depends on uh, phase of the moon these days. So, and uh, people who, who usually stake, they don't, they're, they're, there is a they're kind of a weak, very weak, but it, it's a prisoner dilemma. When people are incentivized to stake with best not operator, and uh, when he, he, there is no clear best, they go by brand, but like there is a number of uh, uh, pretty good node operators that people are incentivized to stake with because these good node operators don't lose they, uh, them stake and give them good profits and stuff like that. And it leads to, basically, it leads to centralization because they do, are not incentivized uh, very much to decentralize the stake. And it's purely on goodwill. And uh, many stakers don't, give enough thought to goodwill but staking pools always do that's basically they are professionally uh, obliged to do this and uh, better holding up to, to hold the not operators accountable i think in in lido we we have a better monitoring system for not operators around for us than most of the big stakers like changes and funds and stuff like that that we we uh, like monitoring uh, people who stake uh, for us way better than uh, most stakers and i can say that the the trade off is real here when the liquid staking token holders are not like putting a lot of pressure on us, but they put, they're putting some and we are well equipped to, to react to that and 
we would honestly welcome more pressure on, on this front. <laughs> so Ella, have you had, has this been easy to convince people that censorship resistance matters or is it like they're just learning about it for the first time? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think I definitely would second what Vasily was saying about how it's surprisingly harder than you would think. People definitely will follow where the rewards are. And I don't think that is surprising. I think there's an interesting opportunity for stake pools to kind of play with that idea and give rewards while also kind of touting the benefits of censorship resistance. So, hey, we will give you great rewards, but you can also get governance tokens and you can help us build the future together. And I think there, there's an interesting way that you can like frame that discussion where you don't really have to pick one or the other. And I think to kind of put a maybe crazy idea out there, I think we're only seeing the beginning of what can be built on top of stake pools. So like it's pretty standard to take your stake pool tokens and you go stake them and then you earn some additional yield there. But I don't think we've really unlocked the potential of like realizing that the underlying asset that you're staking will like continue to accrue value like every epoch. And you should be able to build like crazy financial things on top of that that actually give you way better rewards than staking with an individual validator will ever do. And as the product person, I just put like crazy ideas out there and wait for other people to build them. But I think we're like at the very early stages of that. And so I'm super excited for like a year from now, what crazy things people have built where the rewards are actually like way sexier in stake pools. And you don't even have to care about censorship resistance by the fact that you participate in stake pools. You will be helping that. So that's kind of the future that I'm really excited for. What do you think, FP? I, I, I would say, so So the first question was, you know, what do we think about the efforts towards decentralization? And I think we're getting there. Um, but I think it's it's still early days, right? If you add all of us stake pool operators together, you know, we may have we may have ten million soul between us, and that's less than ever stake, right? That's less than one validator. So there's there's still a long way there's still a long way to go, and uh, you know, and and, and they charge eight percent fees, so that you know, like what what's going on, right? So so definitely, you know, it, it's not a rational choice. It's it's more of a you know possibly just like an inertia sort of thing. And then I would say, you know, that there seems to be, to me, there seems to be a little bit of a, of a trade-off between, um, between stake pools um, and decentralization. And what I mean by that is, is, is even between stake pools, there are stake pools that decentralize more and there are stake pools that decentralize less. And, and, and in some sense, there is a trade-off here because, um, you know, if you stake with too many validators, then you don't get good APY and people don't want to stake with you, right? And, and, and of course, if you only stake with the best ones, then, then you're not really doing your job as a stake pool. So, so there's a, there's a little bit of a delicate balance here, but I echo what Ella said in, in the sense that there's sort of interesting financial instruments you can build, um, on top, um, which, you know, which, which should make the APY thing, maybe the APY discussion, it just sort of, falls out. So the APYs between all the pools and validators are pretty close, right? They don't, they don't really deviate by more than like 10%. Do investors actually optimize for that right now or participants? Are they actually looking at that or are they making a decision once and not, not even thinking about it later for like, you know, months on end? What, what, like, what kind of behaviors do you guys see both as like a normal stake operator and like a pool operator 
As a, as a staking operator, I can say that there is a lot of people who absolutely look at, at returns. We uh, usually, when we go into, into, into network, we prepare like profit reports for them and show them they are staking with us and we get better returns and stuff like that because that's one of the points uh, that not operators can actually differentiate on. And there is not a lot of them, right? <laughs> Basically, we offer the same service to people. But as a liquid staking protocols, there is a lot more of things that can be a differentiator, like way lot. Like the not operator selection is one thing. The other thing is the opportunities to use uh, your uh, stake token in, in DeFi and CFI and like financial use for it. And this stuff beats these like uh, 0.1% point difference like squarely. People don't care about the 0.1% per point difference when they can actually use your token in like in 10 more protocols than the other person. So I think like that's that's going to play uh, as a serious factor way, way into future, not for the few first years of stake, no, liquid staking. So this is kind of like the difference between stable coins, right? Is how much penetration they have on across DeFi protocols or exchanges even. Do you think exchanges are going to start having liquid staking like Lido, you know, sole, sole Lido token? Yes, yes. I think, uh, like, I know it will happen. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's not the matter of, I think, like, I, I know it will happen. It will, uh, it will, like, be inevitable. Uh, it will start with small exchanges uh, that uh, don't have capacity to develop their own staking, uh, liquid staking, and uh, don't have the network effect to make it, uh, like, a good option for people to use uh, their exchange liquid staking. And then it comes to basically everywhere, I think. There is a pretty like serious trading volume on uh, liquid staking tokens right now and it's growing bigger uh, month by month so eventually it will be stupid not to list them fp is that like kind of what you guys are more most worried about or most like working on like how do you get penetration across DeFi? Yeah, I, I think so. So, you know, something that worries me is, you know, is a lot of the protocols giving out emissions and the TVL is growing and all that, right? But but a lot of it, I, I just wonder how much of it is, is organic growth because stake pools are very different from AMMs like Orca or, you know, trading DEXs, right? Like Mango, whereby in Orca, they want, they, they make their revenues from you doing stuff, from you trading, right? Or, or you know, doing stuff. But in a stake pool, you want to do nothing, right? I mean, what we want our users is just literally put the money you know the, the soul in us and just just do nothing right so it, it is a little bit of a different uh incentivization and I, I wonder you know whether these sort of incentives are sustainable because look if you're if you're chasing the people who are farming short-term yield these are not the people that you want in your stake pool anyway you want people who are in it for the long haul right so i'm a little bit worried about this yeah, to piggyback off of that, I think something that's uniquely interesting for stake pools that is not true for, you know, staking to an individual validator is, yes, you want them to just hold their stake tokens in your pool, but you also kind of do want them to participate in the broader project. And what I mean by that is when you have governance tokens, you have the ability to actually impact where the project will go. And you have the ability to be active in a way that you can't be if you are 
let's say in CFI, you know, buying an index fund from Vanguard, like they're not going to ask you, hey, whoa, do you have opinions about where Vanguard should go next? Um, and I think similarly, if you're staking to an individual validator, like sure, they might be earning you great rewards. That's very important, obviously. But I think at some point, like everybody gets to a point where they say, hey, like more rewards would be great. But what I really want is a community. And so I think stake pools that lean into this idea of, hey, we're going to give you this governance token. Yes, hold your tokens, do whatever you want on DeFi. But more than that, like, tell us what you want to see in the community and like where you want the future of you know, this project to go. I think that's like, like a very unique power to stake pools that will organically grow. Uh, we just have to figure out how to market that in a way that's appealing to people who are institutional investors, retail investors, uh, total crypto newbies who don't even know what a DAO is, don't know what governance tokens are, don't know what a stake pool is. So there's like a lot of work to do there, but I think we kind of have our work cut out for us because it lends itself to this very unique uh, dynamic between all of the stakers. Mm, the way I think about about that is uh, it will be a lot more market-driven than participation in market governance-driven. People are usually who, who are staking with not operators and provided most of them don't care to make governance decisions. You can actually look at how it works with uh, Cosmos and uh, other proof-of-stake blockchains where governance is a part of staking. And you can see that most people don't vote apart from the what how they validate the votes, where, 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 the, where they do. They uh, select basically a person that, like company that is aligned to them uh, or maybe select a person that give them best returns and then they don't take a look at governance usually. That's not true for all people, but like that's a clear majority that delegates the governance power. And it will be pretty much the same with uh, staking pools, with uh, liquid staking protocols. They they won't be able to even to connect with most of the holders of the staking tokens because they won't be uh, like passionate enough to connect back, to understand what they want. So it will be like very indirect, like there will be staking pools that gouge some of the governance decision from stakers, but not from all of it, not, not even from most of them, like from 10% of them by volume. And not by number, by, man, by number it will be like probably not, not 10%, but about 0.1%. But they will take much uh, more or maybe like about the same pressure from protocols that, that uses a liquid staking token from the stakeholders in the blockchain ecosystem that don't use a liquid staking token by important like developer teams, developed clients and the researchers as an ecosystem and stuff like that. And liquid staking pool will be like a nexus of governance that will try to uh, combine all this pressure in a single direction from stakers, from protocols, from uh, major participants in the ecosystem. What do you think, like, what is governance in a stake, in a liquid stake pool? What, what is the function of it for the community that owns the token? Um, what should they be looking at? First and foremost, the delegation strategy. I think the community needs to decide the delegation strategy. I, I, I don't think this should be left to, to the founders or, you know, or the creators of the stake pool. Uh, it should be democratized. I, I think another thing is is fees, right? So I think the community should decide the fees that a stake pool should charge. And the last thing I would say is uh, like we would like a lot of 
you know the associated infrastructure to be to be put on the community uh, to be to be run by the community as well so for for instance the the program the 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 upgrade authority is already given to the community right um you know treasury decisions are already given to the community but you know there are still things like the front end or like you know paying valid, you know paying for sort of like a custom rpc node and sort of things like that that right now is centralized and we would like that all to be on chain eventually so i think that's that's all quite important my my thought here is that reserve of governance in the um, uh, in in a good liquid staking protocol is to drive itself to extinction. <laughs> so uh, it won't be easy or it won't be fast, but uh, essentially, uh, liquid staking is working in the in the uttermost part of the security of the protocol. It touches the most important parts of the uh, of the protocol, like censorship resistance and decentralization and security and all of that. And if it gets like a significant power in uh, uh, in these parts, and if it's not credibly neutral, it's not like a great thing. It should be credibly neutral, and you can't be credibly neutral for long when your governance is overpowered. It will. It it it's a natural thing for for uh, overpowered governments to uh, take too much power, and and use it in in uh, not 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 a great way. So it basically has to, in order to be accepted as a by stakers and pro, and ecosystem as a leading liquid staking protocol and the liquid leading part of staking, it should be uh, self depreciating to to a point there where governance power are like time locked and very light and mostly algorithm driven. This is interesting point because I think the goal of governance of a layer one is also to obsolete itself, right? Is how do we, how do we build the structures? And um, part of the reason of building out stake pools was because the foundation was running its own delegation program. And it really felt like, why don't we get, the community to do its own delegation programs, right? And then <laughs> how do we, how do we like, you know, you know, we get zero to one thing working. How do we now go one to N? And that that's always like a way to kind of disintermediate yourself from the governance work and then eliminate it altogether. I think it's interesting that like inherently there isn't like a drive to eliminate state, like eliminate it from the community. Like we just want to kind of push it out of like the foundation <laughs> and like have you guys figure out what is that fine fine line between automation and having everything be programmatic to a govern to on-chain governance well not yet right <laughs> it's it's a work in progress uh we've are working on uh, like maybe systemizing the ways we can what what inputs do we have in in the is this programmatic governance to understand where we can get get the signal from what we can use as a strong signal like we we can't get rid of the governance uh, entirely we can just make it in a way that well like i said the role of governance in, in liquid staking is to take all this input from protocols and ecosystem and stakers and uh, like the larger the water uh, uh, the outside water is large and fabricate a rough consensus out of it so part of this can be automated so because we can we can have the signals in in like in bits and bytes and uh, we can use algorithm to aggregate these uh, signals into partial decision maybe uh, right now we're looking at uh, stuff like what is like objectively good 
characteristics of a node operator, for for example, for selecting node operators like uptime and uh, station risk and the reputation that is uh, proxied by amount of staking in all the uh, other protocols that they are staking in. And this is like a strong signal. We can actually say, we, we can look at uh, like time of operation within LIDO, which is like roughly correlating with uh, reputation and outside LIDO as well. We can look at stakers preference and the stake token holder preference to understand what, what they want, which is also a, a proxy for reputation, uh, which I don't have. What, what the things I don't have a, a good solution for are getting into account the, what, what, uh, people who run protocols think and what people who are major on the ecosystem think because it's not directly correlated to, 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 to a stake in staking pool. And we don't have a good way to get these signals yet, maybe, maybe ever. You guys, like Lido and FP kind of have two different approaches from what I can tell in terms of building out the validator set and the delegation strategy. Uh, FP, like, what, what are your thoughts on this? Like, what what are you guys driving most as like the number one factor in in like selecting validators? So I, I think it's important not to have a white list of validators because I, I think this is exclusionary. Um, I, I think it's important not to sort of dictate what fees validators should charge because I, I think you know um, fees are only important in so far as they affect sort of performance, right? And yeah, so so in some sense we don't want to control validators, and I think we shouldn't. Um, we shouldn't dictate how validators, you know. Uh, that, that being said, of course, you know, performance over time is very important, right? Like um, I think if, if not the most important, um, yeah. And and the other thing I would say is is you know we, you know like the, the decentralization right it's it's uh, you know obviously we know that we shouldn't be this you know we shouldn't be staking to um, nodes that are in the the MSG right that have too much stake or nodes that are in one of the validators uh, sorry one of the data centers that is in the MSG so one of the top three data centers right. Um, uh, but that being said, it, it there is also like a middle ground. You don't want to spread your stake among, let's say, like you know, like half of the half of all the, like six hundred validators, for example, right? And the reason why you don't want to do that is because then you can't make a meaningful difference in, in you you can't make a meaningful difference in decentralization. You want you kind of do want to reward you know validators that are doing well that are also out of the security group. So I, yeah, I would say it's a, it's a bit of a balancing act here. Vasily, you guys have a totally different approach. I'm excited to like, why did you guys come up with that, with that system? And what, what is the Lido kind of way? To, to expand a bit on what the system is, we've got a white list of node operators that uh, run with Lido and charge the same, um, the same commission and uh, get the flat, 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 flat amount of reward. What's the reason behind this? Uh, the white list selection is done by basically a peer review. We've got a lot of node operators already validating Lido uh, in different protocols uh, in Ethereum, in Terra, and uh, now in Solana. And uh, we have a submission process where people uh, submit they like they want to uh, stake for Lido, and we get the node operators. They 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 took a look at them at the at the setup they have and uh, historical performance in Solana and other blockchains, and especially in Solana uh, and stuff like that, and community participation, and select that like the next five or so like participant of the white list when we need to expand. The way we do that uh, is uh, the, what, why, why we do that. Because uh, we want to have good stake distribution that will be good for Solana 
And that's not the best, but it's easily achievable way to do that because that way we can guarantee that not operators are, are good because they are selected by the community of not operators, essentially. And we can uh, guarantee that they have enough stake to run the operations and have enough profit to say that so they are like they really want to keep this business going. That's a good business for them. That's what they want to do. They are not running by scrap. They are paying the uh, their DevOps engineers uh, like handsome salary and stuff like that, so that they can afford to be uh, honest. It's not great in the sense that it's uh, it's a process that allows us to select the distinguished folks, but it doesn't allow people to come in fresh and uh, and grow, and that's not great. But as a temporary thing, when there is a good community of not appraisers that are just like not selected yet, it, it works, I think, very well. I think part of the reason why Lido does it is from what Vasily said, it's it's meant to sort of make sure that, you know, um, the node operators are, are sort of reliable and performant. And I, I would put forward that there's a very easy way to look and to see if a node operator is performant, just look at their APY, you know. Um, so in some sense, I mean, I don't want to sort of make any sort of implications, but I believe this is a little bit like this peer review process is a bit nepotistic, right? It's like if you're in our secret cabal and, you know, if we know you and, you know, and, and we like your DevOps engineers and blah, 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 then, you know, then then we'll, we'll, we'll onboard you. Of course, that's not the case, but, you know, that it's it's what it seems like. This is the most controversial Solana podcast mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> I wouldn't say that's not true, right? <laughs> it's 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 really uh, it really does not allow newcomers to uh, to to come in easily because there is a community of not operators that been through uh, thick and thin in beer market, like greetings through uh, through these days when uh, we all worked like in uh, in the red for years. Uh, that that was what happens. We used to uh, make way less money than we earned, like. With P2P, which was a pretty big one, right? In, even this time, and uh, that's not great. That we, like I said, it's not great. We can't with this process. We have uh, we have currently we can't get in people who didn't build this reputation and track record and stuff. What I don't agree with you that you can easily estimate how good is not operator by looking at day performance. That's just not true. That's that's not how you estimate an operator. You don't uh, only evaluate performance. You also evaluate tail risks. And tail risks, you can't evaluate by uh, performance. You, ca- you should understand that these folks have bus factor of more than one. They don't have like a single guy running all this stuff because if this guy like gets six, your validators get stuck. You should understand that they will stay up at night when there is an upgrade. You should understand that if there is a beer market, they will stay to, to the blockchains are running. And uh, they don't all run on Hetzner, right? Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, because that's uh, the easiest way to get, uh, at least used to be uh, the easiest way to get uh, APR uh, is to run the same data center as everyone else, right? That's how skip rates used to work in Solana. There is way more nuance in selecting a, a good set of not operators than just looking at performance. Uh, the geographical distribution, the uh, jurisdiction distribution, the track record on other blockchains, which runs to reputation, and community participation, being in the, like in the Discord or running projects for Solana and stuff like that. There is way more uh, stuff about not operators that is not easy to understand from just an on-chain metric. 
on-chain metric is like the 20-30% important stuff of choosing the validator because there are a lot of uh, validators with good on-chain metrics, but they are differentiated by stuff that is not seen by most users, uh, by, by, by most people at all. I would say if somebody is staying up all night to make sure that their validator is running and they do restarts within like the first, you know, five, 10 minutes, they're going to have better rewards. So I would say it's, it's more than 20%. I agree that being decentralized and being in data centers that are, you know, different from other people or doing community projects is super important. But I do think that rewards are a good proxy for how active the validator is actually running their node. You can you can say that that's a prerequisite. Like if you if you have good bad performance, you're not a good validator. That's true. Like that's uh, that's not what makes you excellent not operator. Because like excellent not operators run explorers, for example, and uh, they are certos basically. For example, <laughs> you you can't say that this guy has the same performance as certos, so they are as good. That's not true. But I mean, I would say there are maybe like ten community members who run dashboards and like different tooling, and I think there are way more than ten like stellar validators. So sometimes it's just not within their area of expertise, right? They could be excellent DevOps people and run validators across you know many blockchains, but they're not a web developer. <laughs> That's just not their their skill set. Um, but I wouldn't say that they don't contribute to the community. Yeah, yeah. What 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 I'm saying is just that there is much more nuance. Except uh, especially especially when uh, you don't have like 300 places for 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 another operator. You don't have enough money to pay them uh, for 300 validators, and you need to select like 15 or 20 or 50. Unless 100 million soul gets staked to stake pools, then you can expand that list to 3,000 validators and everyone will be profitable. <laughs> so this is like the challenges, right? Like how do we grow the validator set? And it almost in my mind is like you need both. You need people that are driving. We need higher quality. We need due to proof points that you know how to manage keys, but we also need people that are like, okay, just onboard and like figure it out and, and, and like try it. Yeah, this is a tough problem. And like, I think part of the reason of not wanting the foundation to do it and give it, push out this technology of stake pools is because we don't know, right? <laughs> you guys are both sound very much validator operator focused, but these things like I think are some form of, financial like DeFi application too. How much of your time are you thinking about like how these things actually work in DeFi? I think I'd say a lot. That's what makes or breaks the liquid staking. The whole point of liquid staking is that it's liquid and usable in uh, in finance. I, I, I actually don't think a lot about uh, a lot of time about not operators because like I <laughs> I, I, I used to uh, work here I, I, I I'm working in as a in, in a staking provider since like 2020 so early 2020 so like I'm just have strong opinions because I <laughs> I do it right uh, but I have to think a lot about DeFi because it's uncharted it's new so yeah I mean I think the the as as Toli points out I think the the validator operator stuff is is important but but really it, it, it really is just a baseline and and I think what we do with it next is is the thing that's more important um, so you know the question was how do you think about how it's composed of a DeFi right so I mean it's 
it's it's just the beginning, right? So right now, you know, what are the main things that you can do with your stake pool token, right? So you can put it in an in AMM and provide liquidity that way. Uh, you can do lending, um, and that's about it, I think, right? So so, but but to be, I mean, it's it's a, I mean, there's lots of stuff you can do, and we want it to be to be able to, you want to use the stake pool stake soul in any occasion where you can use regular soul. Right. So whether it's, you know, just buying uh, from like a marketplace, right. Or doing some more sort of exotic stuff like, you know, options trading, you know, that's, you know, that sort of, that sort of stuff and not just, you know, putting it in a liquidity pool or, or borrowing or lending or, or leverage yield farming. So, yeah. So I, I'm looking for, I basically, I basically want to expand the ways in which stake pool tokens can be used. And I think that's going to be a big draw. Uh, for people to start staking with us. How much work is it to get that kind of adoption or like to have a specific stake pool token used in a in a DeFi? I think integration takes time depending, I mean, it really depends on the partner who which you are integrating with. And, and I think some, some some things just haven't been built, built out yet, actually, right? Um, so, you know, Ella and I have been talking about, you know, how we can sort of use um, these stake pool tokens in the NFT marketplaces, for example, right? But not, you know, none of this stuff has been built out, right? So, yeah, so we'll get there, but it's, 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 it's not there yet, I would say. So we have to build it. There is uh, like two parts to this answer. One is uh, how long is the, does it take to build? Uh, the other is how long does it take to convince people to, to build, right? The first is uh, like faster than usual for financial products uh, in uh, in traditional finance, but still long because like we uh, we know that shipping is hard, and convincing is also uh, can be pretty pretty complicated. For example, we started the integration process on Maker I think in February this year, and we only now getting uh, an executive vote list staked it on Maker I think around this next week or so that's how long it took us with maker and it's very similar amounts of time with major protocols on Ethereum that are by now pretty conservative solana is not conservative yet most of the protocols on solana like make fast and break things like move fast and break things so uh, i i don't think it, it will take like this this long to stake Solana tokens to be uh, a major participant of DeFi, but it's still still time. Yeah, I would say like the technical integrations are not, they're not technically challenging. You're integrating an SPL token. So that part is pretty easy um, or not as challenging as you would imagine. I think in the early days when the TVL was very small, it was maybe hard to convince platforms that they should care about this weird stake pool token thing. Now that TVL is close to $2 billion uh, US dollars, they maybe will now take those meetings and be like, oh, okay, yeah, let's integrate all the stake pool tokens. And maybe whereas before they would have some liquidity requirements, say, prove that you know users actually want this on our platform. Why should we spend the time integrating it? I think um, hopefully the script will flip and they'll be like, hey, you know, please, can we integrate your stake pool token? But I think it just realistically, it takes a couple of months to get that traction. And hopefully we have some momentum now and we can like push forward more of those integrations. Is there kind of danger of liquidity being fractured between too many pools? 
I rec- <laughs> seem to recall asking you this exact question on the Discord back in September, totally. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 wa- I wonder this myself, to be honest, because I, I think there is a happy medium, right? You don't want one stake pool taking all of it because like th- there are protocol risks there, right? As, as Zensor points out. Um, yeah, and, and if they fail, that, that's, that's dangerous. But on the other hand, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be really difficult to integrate like a hundred different stake pools. And although that being said, there are things we can do to mitigate it, right? One of which is to enforce some sort of standardization, right? So one good step would be, for example, to use the SPL, like, uh, sorry, the Solana reference implementation instead of, you know, but, you know, maybe it's too late now for some of the existing stake pools, right? Uh, but yeah, I mean, but that being said, you know, we were talking about adapters, right? I don't know if you recall some sort of adapter, some some sort of, you know, layer that, that makes sure that the stake pools can all interoperate with one another. I think that would be really good. I think like that's it. It's inevitable that a single representation of staked uh, Solana to be the uh, the major... Uh, player here, so uh, that's basically Lido Thetis, and I like I've I, I'm seeing it play out in uh, in Ethereum and in Beluna and in in Inter ecosystem. So I think like it's it's going to happen. It doesn't necessarily mean that will be one stake pool, but like the alternative here is just another layer of aggregation. One 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 thing, for example, is uh, was uh, proposed by uh, Michael from Curve. Uh, where, like, basically a stable uh, a stable pool of multiple uh, liquid staking tokens was used as uh, like a, and an LP token from this pool was proposed as a, as a basically unit of account. I'm not sure that it will happen, but like I'm pretty sure that there will be one aggregate staked Solana token that will take the majority of the market. I actually think that. Um... <laughs> These things are far more fluid because it's all people based at the end of the day, and people will like do promotions and get communities together and like have fun, right? Or like get excited about a thing that's some innovation. And you will see liquidity move from one thing to the other simply to, because it's exciting, right? And it feels like it's it's just a little too static for there to be only one token <laughs> uh, like this this is not how like normally people operate but we'll see yeah i i, I like it's uh, at any given moment one 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 winning token maybe is a better way to put it so it doesn't mean there will be one token for all eternity but like at any given moment there will be a clear winner except maybe like the moments of flipping that's how i see it so i i worry a little bit about that actually i worry because you know we, we talk about increasing sort of like decentralization right and that, that was the sort of the reason why stake pools were, were were created in the first place and it's true that even you know if you have one stake pool controlling all the stake like that that solves a particular kind of centralization the nakamoto coefficient right but then it introduces a new kind of centralization right and 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 you know maybe there are risks that can be mitigated that way but still you know this this worries me a little bit so I, i'd rather have an ecosystem with you know a good number of different stake pools that's where the education piece comes in. Uh, you got to let your your delegators know the importance of censorship resistance and decentralization. So that the, if there is a sexy new aggregate, <laughs> aggregated stake pool token, they don't just gravitate towards it because it looks good without thinking about the kind of consequences of that. But the yields are so high. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I kind of don't like this dynamic at all that there will be one uh, lean staking token, but I think it's inevitable. And what we can do is not oppose it, but we can build protocols that will be a, like a net good for for the ecosystems anyway, even as happen even if this happens. Hence the self depreciating of governance and uh, in, in liquid staking and stuff like that. That's all flowing from there. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm opposed to it. I think in an instance where you have like ten really small stake pool operators, let's say like universities decide, hey, we want to run the Yale stake pool and the UW stake pool, and they have very fragmented liquidity. I think it makes total sense for there to be an aggregated, you know, university stake pool token. Support university students, help them get their pizza and ramen. Great. Like that's like a, a fun way to to do it. But that's that's a very specific use case where you're trying to make sure liquidity isn't fragmented. But I think, you know, every stake pool today has more than six hundred thousand soul deposited into it on Solana. So I wouldn't say that's a huge fragmentation. It seems like people have chosen the pool that they like and they're happy, you know, with the with the performance of the project and that's the one that they picked. And so I don't know that they would be attracted to um, something that tries to kind of average everything out and is just kind of a a generic token. But I could be wrong. Yeah, it's all like very interesting to see to play out. So are you guys worried about if these are used as collateral, like liquidations, rapidly moving stake from, you know, like regular, I guess, you know, from the lenders to the to the people collecting, to the traders? Is that going to change the dynamic of the makeup of uh, who controls the network over the long term? Not really. Like what uh, what I've seen, the how I've seen it work by in liquidation that happened in Terra and similar events that like they were not exactly strictly liquidations, but like more of fire sale events uh, in Ethereum when the uh, price of Ether went down and people were uh, going out of of stake teeth as well. The dynamics here is that. People who have like low time preference are selling at low prices, and people who have like higher time preference they are buying. So like in the event of liquidation, the price uh, goes down, and people with more foresight and more patience are are getting the juicy discounted uh, stake token. So if anything, that 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 looks like stake token getting in in the hands that smarter and are in for a longer game. Usually, so uh, not always the case, but very much looks like this. I don't, I don't know. I mean, that that being said, right, when you have all these sort of like incentive programs and emissions coming out, right, that doesn't that seem to incentivize people who jump around pools trying to find the best ones, and 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 they are getting rewarded by lots of governance tokens at the end of the day, right? So, so what do we think about that? Mm, I I don't think that like it's something to to really like think about i don't know jumping around and getting these governance tokens and uh, it is like a natural way to to get some money for people who like money i don't know that's not a bad thing it's like if you like some some juicy uh, smart contract risk and <laughs> rock risk in your life that's like a very exciting uh, way to spend time <laughs> Yeah, this is like, uh, there is like, I think, a danger, but I don't know how big it is in that normally for like a validator to receive more stake, the best they can really do is offer 0% commission. 
and then they can like start bribing people, right? And it's hard to bribe people, but with liquid staking, it's a lot easier. You can just simply say when you stake with this pool, you get so many more rewards <laughs> than you do uh, anywhere else because you can mint this new reward token. And is that a dangerous, scary thing that could result with a third or more of the stake all moving towards this hot, shiny thing? I don't know, right? This is like, this is the part of where I think it's very critical for DeFi to mature and to have real analysts and people analyzing these things and looking deep and giving a ton of pushback on things that look a little fishy. It naturally happens, but like kind of only happens on crypto Twitter and still so much stuff sneaks through, right? <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what happens. But, um, you know, thank you guys for joining. Um, super excited to have like this actually being live now and m- making so much headway and, and growing so rapidly. Um, you know, if, if honestly, if we actually get to a point where DeFi is incentivizing censorship resistance. We're kind of done. We built it. It's <laughs> we we can actually take a break. <laughs> so I'm looking I'm, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> is that the biggest concern for you as a creator of the layer one? The you know increasing this decentralization is that would, would you say that's the biggest concern? Yeah, this is like the thing that I'm most worried about because I think to do it in a sustainable way. It means that you need to have a use case which benefits from decentralization. You need to have external users that have a benefit that exceeds the cost of running the network. It can't just be like kind of self-sustaining tokens moving around. So to truly succeed there means that like we kind of build something useful to the world, right? And that that is that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What, what else? Why else are you an engineer if not to build something useful? You know, <laughs> <laughs> if you if you, if that's not what you care about, then you should be an artist, and that's a totally different thing. You, you're <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome to to chat with you guys. Thank you for being on the show, and like, thank you for all the hard work everyone is doing. I love Vasily FB. Just uh, thank you guys. Thank you so much for having us today. Thank you. Thank you.